and the table laden with foods for feasting, the cup overflowing, um, the good gifts of life pictured so evocatively in this way. They're undeniably real and abundant, and they are set before me, before us, in the presence of those that trouble us, um, in the presence of suffering and fear, my own and others. When I was a child, I couldn't see how it was possible for the good to coexist in such close proximity with the hard like this. How the beautiful could coexist with the ugly, death with life, absence with presence. That just didn't make sense. Sometimes it still doesn't, and I'd like to neaten it all up. Life as we know it can be contradictory and bewildering, and we're all trying to deal with that. Personally, experientially, probably also philosophically <laughs> and theologically. Um, one of the conundrums we inevitably um, come up against in our wrangling is the age-old problem of evil. In other words, and simply stated, um, if God exists, and if God is so good and powerful, then why do bad things happen? Um, even though we've heard the question many times, it is a profoundly important human question. But the more I ask it, wrestling with my own and others' experience, my own and others' evolving answers, the more I agree with many thinkers and seekers that there is another equally important question. There's another problem. Uh, pastor and author Brian Zahn speaks to this after first discussing the problem of evil. <laughs> he says... <laughs> But what I'm really thinking about this morning is not the problem of evil, but the problem of good. The problem is, there is so much of it. To hear it told, you would think that evil is so ubiquitous that goodness cannot be found. But that's not true. Goodness is everywhere. We can't turn around, look out a window, or walk down the street without running into goodness. Green grass and blue skies, falling leaves and laughing children, the song of birds and the smell of coffee a smiling face and a warm embrace. The capacity to know these things are good, the ability to find beauty everywhere, the very possibility of living a life that in the end you can call good. Oceans of goodness are a problem for those bent on seeing only what is evil. It's true, the existence of goodness is a problem if you are bent on seeing only what is evil. And the existence of evil is a problem if you're bent on seeing only goodness. Trying to resolve this might tie you in knots, or drive you to try to iron out the knots, philosophically or experientially. I find it helpful here to take note that for Jesus, the seemingly paradoxical coexistence of suffering and evil with goodness and abundance was a reality that he simply got on with deeply living, right down to the dregs all the way to death. In today's reading from John 10, we hear him use the same metaphor as Psalm 23, a good shepherd and his sheep, to describe himself and the nature of life and faith. And then in adjacent pronouncements, he says, first, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The existence, the problem of evil, followed by, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The problem, uh, the reality of goodness. As familiar with the Hebrew scriptures as he was, I see Jesus as consciously evoking Psalm 23 here, that familiar shepherd 
and pastoral picture of life in all its fullness. And I see him as affirming that vision. It's clear that for him, this vision was not rendered null and void by the painful, dark, discordant elements, but rather it included and transcended them. Um, next one. Uh, Richard Raw always expresses this paradox well. He says, if there is such a thing as human perfection, it seems to emerge precisely from how we handle the imperfection that is everywhere, especially in ourselves. We could say too that if there is such a thing as life in all its fullness, it will emerge from how we handle the evil pain and challenge that are everywhere, especially in ourselves. Okay, please permit me now to make a movie plug. So if you haven't already watched it, which you probably have because it came out 10 years ago. <laughs> um, this plug is for the movie About Time. So I watched it for the first time last Sunday with my family and I sobbed loudly for 10 minutes after it ended and I'm now its biggest fan and strongest advocate. So please watch it, About Time, 2013. And please don't tell me if you watch it and you don't find it profoundly beautiful, moving and inspiring. <laughs> So I wish you could, I could tell you all the details, but I don't want to spoil it for you when you watch it tonight. Um, so I will just say that I think my tears expressed a mixture of things. Uh, grief at how much of life I live braced against the potential or fact of pain, conflict and challenge, and therefore effectively miss the life I actually have but mostly tender hope at the possibility of living in a more undefended way, truly open to all the goodness, fullness and beauty that offer themselves to me. And it struck me too, um, in the movie's puffy, snotty aftermath, uh, that the possibility of living less braced and more open needs to be supported by more than the momentary inspiration of a movie or an uplifting saying like, live each day as if it's your last. Um, can do the next one, please. I can only hope to live open to the contradictory content of each day, everything that unfolds in it and everything that arises in me in response, if I've actually cultivated the capacity to do so. And for me, that means cooperating with God's spirit in me to intentionally develop my capacity for things like not knowing, not being in control, being wrong, feeling wrong, taking risks and failing, feeling all my emotions and caring for them, actually being impacted by the suffering of others, um, and choosing the love of God as my rock-solid foundation. And I think it means different things for different ones of us. These are all works in progress, slow, everyday, gradual processes. Um, the very next day after watching the film, I came across a quotation which felt like it kind of encapsulated what I'd been pondering after the, from the movie. And it was this. Yes. Um, life to the full is possible, but not without our choosing it one small action at a time. And I love what it does for me to overlay that quote on today's readings and the twin problems of evil and goodness. It encourages me that life to the full, as imaged in Psalm 23, is actually possible when chosen one small action at a time, living our way into a life of restoration amidst challenge, 
guidance amidst uncertainty and potential, presence in the shadow of absence and loss, abundance in the company of opposition and trouble, goodness and mercy that nothing can stop. It encourages me that life to the full, as recounted in Acts, is possible when chosen one small action at a time. That we, us here, as we really are, can live our way into radical gratitude and generosity in imperfect beloved community, into the mutual sharing of life and purpose and resources. And I see that in John 10, Jesus agrees with Judy Canato, and explicitly says that life to the full is possible because he names it as his purpose and he offers it. And he also says in John 10 that it requires discernment, that is to say the capacity to recognise and listen to the trustworthy capital V voice that's calling towards abundant life over the voices that lie, steal and destroy this discernment leads then to the capacity to choose which voice to follow, the capacity to act in alignment with what we have seen and been offered. In other words, life to the full is possible, but not without choosing it one small action at a time. Um, though the nature of those small moment-by-moment -moment actions will be unique for each of us, I believe it will always involve practices that incrementally grow our capacity to, to be present to life as it actually is, with compassion and equanimity, including ourselves and others as we actually are, which in turn opens us to receiving and receiving life in all its fullness. Um, or maybe life as it actually is and life in all its fullness are the same thing. Either way, I find it encouraging to think of being able to grow my capacity for an abundant life day by day and moment by moment, because then instead of Life in all its fullness being some sort of thrilling, constantly inspired, bucket list and bungee jumping kind of thing. And who's got the energy for that, am I right? <laughs> or some impossible picture of perfection. Life to the full feels more like a stretching and a breaking open. Um, often gradual, sometimes painful. It feels like being offered the opportunity to return not to the kind of childish thinking that I want to keep outgrowing, but to a childlike seeing and being that are joyful and tender and open to it all. Friends, surely, surely goodness and mercy will follow and find us all the days of our lives. And we will live in the very dwelling place of God every day and forever.